in our second week of this series called Inside Out, and basically what we're looking at is what does it look like to live from the inside out, from redeemed emotions and feelings, instead of from the outside in where everything shifts our inner space and we react to that. And so today, we're actually gonna look at some verses in Psalm 51 and then 2 Samuel 12. So if you have your Bible with you, you can take that out. I need to do a little bit of setup, so just bear with me for a moment. Um, This incident in David's life that we see in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 might be one of the most famous incidences in his life. This incident is so famous that it actually has found its way into like pop culture at different times and and people um, reference this in all kinds of ways. So here's the background. It's, it's the moment or the time where David in 2 Samuel 11 seduced Bathsheba, okay? So, so David has slept with Bathsheba even though she was married to one of his soldiers, Uriah. Um, and this was David's, one of David's trusted soldiers. This guy was so loyal. And, and then after finding out that Bathsheba is now bearing David's child, David goes into this chain of events simply to try to cover his sin. And, and so he, he comes up with this plan that Uriah is going to get killed in battle, and the plan fails miserably, and, and so um, his sin is still out there, Uriah is dead, Bathsheba is pregnant, and, and one of David's trusted uh, allies, a prophet of God named Nathan, walks into David and says, hey, I need to tell you a story. And so he tells him this story about this rich man who had all these sheep and this poor man who had one little sheep. And he tells him how the rich man stole the sheep and slaughtered it and served it to his friend who was traveling. And so he tells him this whole story. And that, that entire story is in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. We're going to pick up that story in 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. So Nathan has just come in and said, David... Here's a story I need to tell you. David's realized Nathan was talking about him, and that's where we'll pick up. So if you don't mind, would you rise with me as we read God's word from 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. So Nathan said to David, you are the man. And he didn't say that in a way like, David, you're a man. He said it in a way like, David, you are this horrific, horrible man that I just told you about. So Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. 
Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, God, that, that David, as a man after your own heart, was okay with putting himself out there in his lowest moments. That God, just like us, he was severely flawed. And yet you redeemed him and brought him back. And so God, I pray that as we tackle this topic of finding freedom from guilt today, a difficult topic, that you would be with us, that you would help us unpack whatever it is we've been carrying around and lay it at your feet and find in you the cleansing of our sins, the redemption of our feelings, and the freedom to live in you fully. We ask all that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so have a seat. I wanna ask you to do something real quick. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of something you've done that was wrong, hurtful, sinful. And hold that thing in your mind and think about what you feel as you remember it in this moment. It could be this morning on the way here. It could be 20 years ago. But think of something you've done and tap into that feeling that arises in you as you think about it because you probably feel one of two things. Either you feel anger at me for bringing it up, or you feel guilt. And the anger is a topic we'll talk about another day, but today we're gonna deal with the guilt, because guilt is a common emotion for every single person. You know why we all feel it? Because we're all guilty. There's no way around it. We've all sinned, and therefore we are all guilty. That's what Romans 3.23 is all about. And because we are all guilty, we feel guilt at times. But there's a couple issues with guilt that I feel like we need to address before we dive too deep into this. And so the first thing is this. I am not talking about false guilt someone tries to put on you as a manipulation technique. That's not the guilt we're talking about this morning. That's evil. And that needs to be cast off of us by the Holy Spirit. And people who are hurt and unhealthy actually sometimes try to impose guilt on us when we don't do what they want us to do. Now understand, that type of guilt is not necessarily malicious. It may not be that they're trying to harm you, but it is certainly manipulative. See, the guilt we feel when we don't meet someone's expectations or when another person is trying to manipulate us is not what I am talking about today. So don't confuse these two things. Our topic for today is true guilt. And here's what I mean by that. True guilt comes up in me when I realize that I have damaged the most important relationship in my life, that relationship with God. And so we, as fallen people, and then we're all in a fallen state, we damage that relationship. And we do it on a regular basis. That's the guilt that David experienced when Nathan came to him and said, you are that man. When Nathan pointed out his sin in 2 Samuel 12, that's the type of guilt that drove David to sit down and pull out his pen and write Psalm 51. And so 2 Samuel 12 is the event that happened. Psalm 51 was David's response. And so we're gonna look at Psalm 51 today. I encourage you to go back and read 2 Samuel 11 and 12 at some point. And then reread Psalm 51 and take these events and let them sit in the context of what happened in David's life. Let them sit in the backdrop of Psalm 12 as you explore Psalm 51. And so here's the thing. 
David's inner response to and his experience of the emotion of guilt over his sin is exactly what he laid out in Psalm 51. He sinned, he knew he was guilty, he felt guilt, and he sat down and wrote Psalm 51. And if you have your Bible with you either on your phone or in your hand, if you look at the introduction of Psalm 51, it probably says something like this. A Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So here's the thing. David in writing Psalm 51 made no bones about what it was about. (laughs) He's saying, here's my sin and I'm laying it out there. And so Nathan comes to David. He confronts him about his sin. David feels the weight of guilt over it, grabs his pen, writes Psalm 51, and here we are all this time later able to see the internal emotional response that David had to his sin and having his sin poured out pointed out to him. And so his words are a blessing to us when we feel guilt, but they're also a pattern to follow when we respond to guilt. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Psalms being written basically in three parts. There's a remember section, there's a rest section, and there's a joy section. And so we're going to look at Psalm 51 with that structure, that structure of remember, rest, joy, So the first part of Psalm 51 in verses one and two is that remember section. So here's what the first two verses say. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See, David experiences guilt over his sin with Bathsheba, and he remembers. And what does he remember? Well, he remembers first that God's love is steadfast. God's love is steadfast. The Hebrew word kased is used here. And so the Hebrew word for steadfast, kased, what it actually means when it's referring to God is that God's loving kindness towards us in condescending to meet the needs of his creatures. So cassette is this idea when it refers to God that God's loving kindness is him reducing himself to come to us and meet our needs as his creatures when we have a need. So David is remembering that the very nature of God is to reduce himself to our level so that he can meet our needs. So, so David says, I remember your cassette, Lord. I remember your cassette, God, in my sin. So what is it that David needs here? Well, on the surface, we'd all look at this and say, he needs forgiveness. But when we have a relational view of sin, instead of simply a behavioral view of sin, we recognize that David's need is for God to restore relationship with him. Fix the relationship between God and David. And so this is critical if you're going to bring your guilt to God. Because oftentimes when we feel guilt over our sin, we tend to look at God the same way we look at other people and say, what must I do to make this right? How do I overcome it? But here's the thing. Sin is a relational problem not a behavioral problem. 
it strains and breaks our relationships. That is the issue. That's where David's at. That's important to remember as we go further because what we see then is that the guilt that I feel when faced with my sin is actually an invitation to restore my relationship to God. Think about that for a moment. Because our normal response (laughs) tends to be, I feel guilt before God, so what do I do? Run away, hide, work hard, make promises, all of which don't restore the relationship. And so as David remembers that God is steadfast in his love and he's abundant in his mercy, that God desires to meet his need for God by cleansing David of his sin, then he can move towards resting in God in his guilt. Do you see how that makes guilt invitational when we remember who God is and who we are? Because God is always willing to restore my relationship with him, even in my sin. He doesn't turn his back on me in that. David knew this. That's why he had to write, I remember, God, that you are steadfast in your love and you are abundant in mercy. And so David in Psalm 51, one and two is saying, look, I remember these things. Before we get down to the nuts and bolts of this, Before we dive into the nitty gritty, before I come to you with my guilt, I have to remember that this is about you, not me. That you are steadfast. You are abundant in mercy. You want the relationship restored. And so now we get to verse four. Now verses four through 11 are the rest. Anybody ever felt like when you were experiencing guilt that all you needed was rest? Guilt keeps us awake at night. Guilt puts us on a treadmill. Guilt makes us perform. It makes us try to do things we're not capable of doing in ways that demand other people look at us and go, oh no, you're good. You hurt me, but you're good now because you did this or you did that. That's not restful. Listen to David in Psalm 51 verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Do you see what David's saying there? The rest in guilt begins when we know and acknowledge that the primary relationship I have broken in my sin is my relationship with God. That's where rest starts. Now think about that. Against you and you only have I sinned. I wonder if this was not, the psalm wasn't like commonly spread about until after all the players in this had died. Because I gotta be honest, if I'm one of David's soldiers or the family member of one of his soldiers who died trying to set Uriah up to be killed or Bathsheba, I'm thinking to myself, how dare you? You say you sinned against God and God only? No. Because David did sin against Bathsheba and he sinned against Uriah and he sinned against other soldiers and he sinned against all his army commanders who trusted him. Yet he knew this. He knew that none of those relationships were ever gonna be restored 
apart from him restoring his relationship with God first. That's how when he leaves this trail of victims of his lust, he can say, I have sinned against you and you only. Trust me. When I sin against you, I know I hurt you. He hurt Bathsheba. He hurt his soldiers. He hurt his generals. He hurt Nathan. But he hurt God more. And here's why. Because when we sin, I have broken God's heart because I have assaulted his very image in you. My sin assaults the image of God in the one who I sin against. And not only that, but I've also assaulted his image in me by living as less than he made me to be, by seeking my own will instead of his will. So yes, I sinned against others, but that sin against them has hurt God more because I've looked at the image of God in you and said, I don't care. I will use you for my purposes. But I've also looked at the image in God in me in my sin and said, I don't care. I will use me for my purposes. So does that help you see how David could say against you and you only I have sinned? Because every sin is an assault against the image of God in myself and in the one I sin against. And so to face our guilt before God is to draw us deeper into God. Once I realize that my sin is against God and God only. And so I'm gonna move through these next verses, verses five through 11 and 51, relatively quickly, just to point out how David found rest in his sin and in his guilt. So we look at verse five. David's resting in the truth that he has a fallen and sinful nature. Now, I think most of us probably don't find the word rest to pop into our heads when we consider our fallen and sinful nature, but I'm gonna tell you why that's rest. It's rest because he knows that God knows what and who he is. So he doesn't have to prove anything. He's not trying to make a case for himself before God. But he also knows that God has put a plan in place to meet him as a sinful person where he is when he feels guilt. So David is resting in that. In verse six, he's resting in the fact that God is tending to the inner person, to the heart, instead of demanding perfection in action, which none of us can achieve. In verse six, David's saying, God's changing me inside. I still mess up out here, but I know he's doing something in here. In verse seven, David's resting in the truth that God is actually the one who purges his sins, who cleanses him and purifies him. That's rest because David does not have to find a way to do what he could never do, which is make himself holy. That's restful. In verse eight, he's resting in the fact that there's joy and gladness available to him, even in his brokenness. See, guilt feels like our bones have been broken, doesn't it? 
It hurts us at the deepest core of our being. Yet even in that, God has placed joy and gladness before us if we will rest in his working in us and for us. That's where the joy and gladness lies. So David rests in the fact that God doesn't see our sin but sees us as clean because of the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. That's what verses nine through 11 are telling us that's gonna come in Psalm 51. Verses nine through 11 in Psalm 51 are actually telling us what's happening in Ephesians 1.7. Listen to this in Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now don't get me wrong, David had not experienced this yet, but as a prophet of God, he knew that redemption was always gonna come through a Messiah. He knew that day was ordained and it was gonna happen. So David in these verses is finding rest in God's promise that wasn't even realized yet for him. But he could rest in what was to come. That sounds like something we all need, doesn't it? We tend not to be able to find rest because it hasn't manifested itself in our present moment. David in Psalm 51 is saying, no, I found rest because of what's gonna happen. And this, Jesus didn't show up the next day. David lived a lifetime resting in what would be because he trusted God. He knew that the Holy Spirit was going to be there. He knew that the Holy Spirit was going to be indwelt in us. And so hopefully you can see that David's rest in his guilt is a product of not only knowing who, who God is, but also knowing what God is doing. That's why your Bible's so powerful in your hands if you would just take the time to sit with it and say, God, show me what you're doing, because I need rest. I need to know what's coming. See, our rest in guilt is in the same place that David found it. When I feel guilt, I can rest in who God is and in the sanctifying work that he's doing in me through Jesus. So the rest in my guilt comes not in not having guilt, but in knowing that God is redeeming my guilt. He's doing a work in that feeling. And so finally, we get to section, the section about joy in Psalm 51, verses 12 through 19. Listen to this in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now here's what I know from my own experience. And I have a ton of experience with guilt. When I feel legitimate and justified guilt, I have no joy. It's gone. The joy of salvation is living in unbroken, inseparable union with God, starting now and lasting forever. The joy of salvation is experiencing oneness and closeness with Him. See, my sin, the source of my guilt, removes that joy because it breaks the relationship. In that moment, when my sin is ever before me, 
I am not in a relationship of union and oneness with God. It's not inseparable in that moment because I've turned my back and I've said this relationship doesn't matter next to this thing that I want, the sin that I'm pursuing. And so my sin, the source of my guilt, removes that joy of relationship. My sin moves me out of relationship with God by turning my back to him. If you know God and you've experienced that joy that's in his presence in your life, then you know that there is no joy that can be found apart from him. We try, we get distracted, we wander into other things, but we never find that joy. And so the joy of his salvation David saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation is a cry of guilt that brings me back into clean and perfect relationship with God. And that happens as God gives us his spirit, a spirit of willingness to seek him instead of our sin, as he delivers us from guilt, as he allows us to taste his righteousness, not create our own, as he draws us into praising him instead of lamenting ourselves. And he meets us in the center of our broken hearts and our contrite spirits. Then we experience his delight in us as his. That's the joy of God's salvation, that he delights in you. It's fairly simple. I didn't say it's easy, I just said it's simple. But that's where the joy comes back. We realize he delights in us. In short, these verses in Psalm 51, last part of Psalm 51, are basically David's experience of Romans 8, 38 and 39. Listen to this. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If David was writing the book of Romans, he probably would have written those verses something like this. I know that even the seduction of another man's wife and the killing of that man and betraying the trust of my generals and sending people out to die just so that I could kill that woman's husband can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. See, these verses, although not written, were experienced by David in Psalm 51. So here's the thing, when you feel guilty, you gotta take some clear steps. You can't simply say, here it is, Lord. I'm gonna do nothing with it because you're gonna do everything with it. It doesn't work that way. The first step you have to take is to acknowledge that you have broken your relationship with God. So when you feel guilt, like I invited you into experiencing at the beginning of this message, the thing to do is sit with that and say, God, ah, there it is. Your spirit is telling me I've done wrong. Your spirit is my Nathan, who just showed up and said, you are the man. And so now, God, I'm gonna acknowledge it. 
I'm gonna acknowledge that I've broken my relationship with you. Knowing that I can restore no other relationship in my life before I restore my relationship with God through Christ. So to go to the person I've wronged and said I wanna make this right before I make this right is not gonna work. Because to go to that person will be a manipulation tactic. Because I haven't righted myself with God yet. And so the first thing you do is you acknowledge that you've broken your relationship with God. It's what David did in Psalm 51. I've sinned against you and you alone. The second thing you do is rest in the redeeming power of God and the work that he is doing in you. You rest in who he is instead of what you can do to fix it. See, oftentimes we rest in our ability to fix the broken relationship. And if I don't have the ability to fix the broken relationship, then I don't rest. But the second thing we do is to rest in the redeeming power of God and the work that he is doing in me. He is the one restoring the relationship. And finally, and this is a hard part, because when we feel guilt, we don't think we deserve this. And so we push it off. But finally, I gotta seek the joy of God's salvation. That is the joy of being restored to him through his righteousness and his holiness, not mine. The joy of his salvation is that he is the one doing the work. See, here's the deal. The world's response to guilt tends to be to go to the person we have wronged, ask them, what can I do to make it right? Do those things, then demand that they forgive us because we've done all they asked. Anybody been in that pattern before? Tell me what I can do to fix it. What do I need to do to fix it? Okay, I've done those things, now get over it. It's not how it works. Because here's the problem with that. There is no healing for me or for the one I've wronged in that response to guilt. There's no healing. It's simply living in a different dynamic of a relationship. See, guilt should lead us into God, the only one who can cleanse us and purify us, not lead us into effort to overcome a relationship. Because he cleanses us and purifies us not only of the guilt, but also of the inner desire towards sin that produces the guilt. So that's where the healing comes in. The healing comes in as I deal with my guilt before God and he restores me in the right deeper relationship with him. The very desire in me to seek the things that I sought in the first place that brought the guilt begins to die. And now I'm not on that treadmill anymore of pursuing all those things that I know in my conscience are not good. And I know it because God's spirit, the Holy Spirit shows up as my Nathan and convicts me and I feel guilty. So now, now with, with all of this laid out there, I know that there's some of us in this room that have relationships that we've broken through our sin. I know there's at least one person who has that, me. 
I have broken relationships because of my sin. And I know we'd like to take off the guilt and wear a different outfit altogether because when you're walking around wearing guilt, it's heavy. It robs you of joy. Well, guess what? I'm gonna help you change your clothes today. Hey, 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 hey. Clean your minds up back there, you laughing people in the back. Listen to this in Romans 13, verse 14. This is from the Amplified Bible. But clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for, nor even think about gratifying the flesh in regard to its improper desires. I'm about to help you dress yourself in Jesus instead of guilt. And here's how you do it. First thing is you consider the source of your guilt. When you feel guilt, you say, I'm gonna consider the source of this. I'm gonna think about the sin I've committed. I'm not gonna minimize it or excuse it. I'm gonna think of it as what it is, sin. The next thing you do is you linger in that guilt without justification or denial. You let it be a reminder to you that you have a fallen nature and you need God. Then you open your heart to God's truth. His truth in Psalm 51. You spend time contemplating it. You let scripture like Psalm 51 remind you of who God is and of who you are. Now who are you? I'm God's beloved in Christ. If you don't remember that and you try to open your heart to God's truth, it's gonna lead you down a rabbit hole of condemnation. So you have to remember your identity. I thought we resolved this way back in September. You are God's beloved in Christ. So as you open your heart to God's truth in Psalm 51, you remember who he is, you remember who you are, and then you think on God's nature and your need for relational restoration. You remember you are seeking relational restoration, not behavioral perfection. When we go to God and say, God, make much of me by cleaning up my act, he can do nothing with that because you know who the only person God can make much of is? God himself. So we have to go to him and say, I'm gonna remember your nature and my need, not your nature and, and the desire for me to have a nature like yours. I'm becoming God, but it's his nature in me, not my nature that I've achieved that makes me like him. And then you have to hear his invitation to return to him. I know a lot of us miss this part because we think what God wants is when our sin is before us and our guilt is there, we think what he wants to do is push us off to the side. But the reality is we're just projecting onto him what we're doing with him. My sin is me pushing God off to the side, not God pushing me off to the side. And so you have to hear his invitation to return to him. Return to him, not the sin. And then finally you experience the joy of his salvation. Only thing I got to say about that is amen. See, here's the deal. Jesus says your new outfit is inner clothing, not merely outward clothing. To clothe yourself in Christ doesn't mean that you run around and do the things that you think Jesus wants you to do. To clothe yourself in Christ means that you become the kind of person inside who would do what Jesus did outside. And see, it's not the adultery that made David an adulterer. 
the fact that he was the kind of person who would commit adultery when given the chance is what made him an adulterer. And when the chance arose, he walked right in it. It's true of us too. My problem isn't what I do. The problem is that I am the kind of person who would do that thing given the opportunity. And so here's the deal. To clothe ourselves in Christ is actually an experience that we have to walk into. It's an experience of God and our emotions. It's an acquired skill and it's learned through practice. One of the ways we're inviting you to learn that practice is to come back next weekend when Bill and Christy are here to walk through their book, Journey of the Soul. That is about experiencing God in our emotions so that the inner person becomes transformed and I live out of being clothed in Christ instead of clothed in myself. And so here's the thing. I'm not gonna let you off the hook. I'm not letting you sit here and consider the sin that I asked you to remember earlier and go, okay, good, it's over because I'm now clothed in Jesus. It's all good. Nope. Here's what you gotta do. After you clothe yourself with Christ, you need to go to the person or persons that you have wronged and ask them to forgive you. The ones that you have harmed with your sin who bear the very image of God that you have harmed, you need to go back to and say, no, I know the image of God is in you and I must make this right. Not for my sake, (laughs) but for the sake of the image of God that's in you. That's why we go to people and ask them for forgiveness. And I'm gonna tell you straight up right now, I've had to walk through that very process this week. I do not like this series. We're two weeks in and I don't like it and here's why. Because whatever the topic is, God goes, you need to get this. And he gets out this big divine ball-peen hammer and he smacks me on top of the head. And I've had to walk in that for two weeks now. This week is not gonna be fun because next week we're talking about regrets. I expect to spend the next five or six days as a blubbering mess on the floor, examining my life and seeing every failure. But you have to understand that although what I'm suggesting is hard, it's restorative. When we go to that person and say, hey, I have restored my relationship with God that I broke by dishonoring his image in you, and now I wanna restore my relationship with you. Will you forgive me? I wanna point out one last thing before I pray. It's this, if you're here today and you think that you can make your relationship with those you have harmed right and good again without resolving your relationship with God, I'm just not trying to be mean, but you're mistaken. It's never gonna work. The only way to resolve the broken relationships in our lives is the way David did it. Your relationship with God is the source of every other relationship in your life. We have to make that relationship right first. And so here's the deal. If you need to address that relationship today, whatever that looks like for you, if you need to address that relationship today, we're gonna have prayer partners down here at the end of the service, and you can come to them and say, I need restoration in my relationship with God. Maybe it's because of some guilt as a Christian that you're carrying around, you've carried around for years, and you just can't let it go. 
And you think God can't let it go because you can't let it go. Well, guess what? Come down at the end of the service and put on a different outfit. We have prayer partners that will help you clothe yourself in Christ. But know this, we all have those things. Some of them look really bad and difficult. Some of them are relatively easy to overcome. But the truth is, what I did is not nearly as important as how it's impacted my relationship with God. So if you need to restore that relationship today, or maybe there's some area in your life that you've held on to for years and years and years, and you think God looks at you and all he sees is that sin, don't leave here today without coming and praying with somebody because it's time to clothe yourself in Christ. Or maybe you don't have a relationship at all with God and you're walking around in this guilt and you can't figure out where it's coming from. Well, might I ask you to consider that maybe that's an invitation of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, you, you got nowhere to lay this down because you don't have that relationship with the one who wants to carry it. And if that's the case, you can come down and talk to one of our prayer partners today. But either way, if you came in here today and, and as I said, think about something that you've done wrong and it hit you like that and this weight came down on you and you felt crushed and pushed, don't you leave here today without dealing with it. Because you can take off that guilt and you can clothe yourself in Christ and live free. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for David. I thank you for, for David's heart for you and his actions for himself. Because when those two things are laid side by side, we can find hope. And Lord, I, I know that David would probably be one of those people that, frankly, honestly, would drive me nuts. But I also know that to watch him live out his life, his heart towards you, in the depths of his sin and depravity and failings is so inspiring to me because that's where I tend to live. And so God, I ask that you would just guide us back into yourself the way you led David back to you after his sin. Knowing that there's guilt that we all carry that you want us to take off. But most importantly, God, I just ask that you teach us to clothe ourselves in Christ so that we can live free of guilt in him. We ask all that in Jesus' name, amen.